Hey, this is Shamina. This is the Two Quick Things podcast. I've got three topics for this week, so let's dive right in. The first one, um, so I work in HR full-time. Um, it had been a goal of mine for a number of years, and I'm grateful for the opportunity to be able to do that. So then um, I've been in a series of interviews over the last, like my whole time in this new role, and I want to share about 10 quick tips um, and things to be mindful of and have an awareness about and hopefully adjust if it applies to you when it comes to interviewing as an interviewee. So you're going in for the job. So um, here we go. Practice. There are ways to practice and not sound rehearsed. If you don't have a practice partner, hit me up, slide into my DMs, and I'm happy to give you some feedback. But chances are there are videos online. I'm sure there's whole podcasts, HR podcasts around interview tips, uh, things that you can uh, listen to on YouTube and watch. Practice. You don't have to go in cold. In fact, you shouldn't go in cold into an interview because you will likely sound unrehearsed and there's a level of rehearsed. I think that's appropriate that says that you've prepared for this. You have an understanding of what you're talking about and you've done a little bit of self inventory on that. Have some examples in your head already. So usually, you know, an interviewer will ask you a question. I tend to think it's helpful to have my like staple two or three examples about like a time that I had a conflict or um, some, something that I'm really proud of and give, have two or three examples already in my head. And maybe I have them jotted down on the notes in front of me in my notebook and I can pretend like I'm taking notes. No interviewer is typically going to read that, but it gives you something to already have in. So, you know, they're probably going to ask you about strengths. They're probably going to ask you about weaknesses. So why not just come in with some thoughts already? They're not going to know that you've already had them in your head and you're prepared to talk about them. It really also relieves you from sitting there being like, hmm, I don't know what to say. Um, and again, if you're in those interviews, maybe have something jotted down in your notebook in front of you so you can hopefully minimize the amount of times that you say, I don't know what to say. Point number three, fix your handshake. Nobody wants to shake a cold, clammy, and weak hand. I'm not saying you need to have a death grip, um, but if you give me the like hand that it looks like you want me to kiss your hand, that is not a handshake. That's a weird, I'm not quite sure. And again, it doesn't have to be a death grip, but having something that's so loose, it, I'm, like we should just give each other five because that's what it feels like. Or I'm like grabbing at air and you're just waiting for me to shake your hand. So be engaged in the handshake. It, there's a uh, balance and it's not even that hard of a balance between like a weak handshake that it feels like you're I'm holding a dead hand and like a death grip. Just have a decent grip and keep it going. You know what I mean? So that, that's like a low hanging fruit. That's super easy. You can practice that with damn near anybody. Um, read the room as an interviewee. Read the room. You, you should be paying attention to what people are doing in the room. If your interviewers look bored, they probably are. That means you've dragged on to your dragged on too too long or your story is boring because it happens. So have a sense of that and figure out, okay, well, how do I re-engage the folks in this room? And that's sometimes a little bit of a difficult one, but if you're paying attention and you're you're reading people's body language or if they're if you realize you've gone on so long that they're just like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's that's too much. So you got to be paying attention and be an active interviewee. 
Um, I think sometimes people forget that they want to get their words out so much that they're not reading like the engagement or lack of engagement of the people sitting on the other side of the table or the other side of the room. So reading the room and having an awareness out there. And just because you prepared for everything to say everything in the interview or to talk about every job doesn't mean that you should in an interview. So take stock of the space. How do you feel in it? Is it comfortable? Is it conversational? Are you talking too long? Are you dragging on? Things to consider. Number five, ask questions at the end of the interview, period. Um, I, as in somebody who is trying to hire people, I want to know that you have done some research and that you actually know how to ask me a question. The internet has 50, 11 examples Pick two or three and ask those questions. They don't have to be deep. They don't have to be like, if what color crayon were you in a box of 60? Nobody cares about the box of crayons. Ask them maybe, this is one that I really like asking at the end of um, an interview if I'm being interviewed. Are there any questions that you might have for me that may help clarify anything in my resume or anything that I've said today that I can help provide a little bit more light on? Because it gives them a chance to, to understand that I know that some of my experiences may not be linear and go this, this, this in a row, but at least I'm paying attention. And that, that's my way of getting feedback and inviting feedback into the conversation. Um, sometimes people ask, like, what is your five year plan? Look, that's not relevant for everybody. If you are an entry level person coming in, the chances of you staying at your first job five years, hmm. Not the most likely. It certainly happens, but it's not as likely. So think of something that's relevant. Ask them about like workplace culture. What do people do in the organization to connect with their industry or field outside of the office? So always ask one or two questions at the end of an interview. It shows that you're engaged and you likely have done some homework and that you want to know a little bit more about the organization in addition to getting the paycheck. Um, I tend to ask, tell people not to ask the, not to have one of your questions be what's the next step in the process, because that's a no brainer. Any decent interviewer will share that with you um, at the end of the conversation anyway. So there's that. Uh, point number six, if you aren't naturally funny or humorous, an interview is not the time to try it. If you, I don't even know what more to say to that. As a person who is, I consider myself both naturally funny and humorous, um, I also have a sense of reading the room and knowing when my humor would make sense and when it doesn't. But if you're going to come in telling jokes and that's not a part of your, well, jokes are not necessarily appropriate for an interview, in my opinion. But I think there's some funny things that you can say or humorous ways that are natural and that they come out of your personality already, um, that you can show up and kind of like disarm the other people, the interviewers in the room. But if you're not those things, you're not kind of humorous already, this is not the time to test out your stand-up routine. So just know that about yourself and be, be cool with that. Number seven, be interesting. Read a damn book, an article, listen to a podcast. Uh, hell, watch a YouTube video. Don't be a boring interviewee. So many times employers are looking for somebody who has some personality. And I'm not saying that you have to have the personality of all personalities to bounce off the wall and to um, show out and make it a performance, but be interesting. I want to know that you, you hopefully do something outside of just coming to work. And I don't need to know your deepest, darkest secrets, but nobody wants to sit through a boring interview. If you can relate it to an article that you read or even a TV show that you've watched, as long as it's, you know workplace appropriate, um, 
do those incorporate like the other things that are going on in your life into the conversation. Um, because you have an ability to kind of guide the fact that it should be hopefully a conversation. So be interesting. There's so many avenues for free content for you to get your hands on. Um, there is almost no excuse to not be some level of interesting. Um, number, what is this? Number eight. Um, this can be a hard one for people make eye contact. That should be self-explanatory, but in however, I know it can be intimidating to make eye contact because some people, they do it as they're staring at you and they're not like working the room left to right and like conversing with each person. So for example, if I am being interviewed for something, I may, you know, spend two to three seconds on each person kind of responding. So if you ask me one, if one person asks me a question, I'm going to answer the question and I'm going to look at them, but I'm going to look at other people too, because I'm not just giving one person the answer. Everybody's looking for the answer. Um, one thing that I often do is I will put my hand on my chin and be like, huh, and then I'll, I'll give myself a moment. So I may look at the ceiling and that's my way of giving myself a break from making eye contact. But even if it feels uncomfortable, practice that two to three seconds of making an eye, con making eye contact with someone. I think that's maybe one of the harder things, um, especially if you're a person, you've maybe asked for feedback about like, how is your eye contact? Um, and find ways to not make your eye contact staring, if that makes sense. Um, let's see. Number nine. Oh, this one gets on my nerves. Don't tell the interviewer good question after every question they ask. You're wasting time and it's a poor stall tactic. I know my questions are good. And even if they're not good, I'm not necessarily looking to be affirmed by you. Like, oh, that's a really good question. Oh, excellent question. That's a great question. You don't need to do all that. Nobody is evaluating you on, on that. It's a, it's a filler. Um, maybe if you say it once or twice, but you can also say, hmm, okay, let me think. Um, which leads into my last point around um, some quick interview tips. Um, when someone asks you a question, you can pause before you answer it. You can take a moment, you can perhaps jot down a note on the notebook that you've brought with you, think about it, contemplate for maybe, you know, three to five seconds, and then answer. I think we, pre we feel pressured to feel the silence, especially in an interview when someone asks, asks us a question, and we just start talking like, okay, great, blah, 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 blah. It's okay to take a pause, be thoughtful about it. And then continue on with, you know, providing your response or the answer. Those are things that are 100% okay um, and actually welcome. I always value when people take a moment to think about it. They might jot down a note to organize their thoughts um, and then they go from there. So you can do that. It is okay to bring paper and a notebook. I know I see people with like um, expensive or maybe cheap like um, portfolio folders. And I'm thinking you have, you're not writing anything down. You just think it looks good. Use it. You brought it for a reason. Write down, jot down a note so that you remember to include those things in there. All right. Topic number two. So I was going through like some old like Facebook posts of mine and I put a quote on there and it was Viola Davis. And she said this in like 2010, or at least that's the first time I heard it. And she said, you can't be hesitant about who you are. 
And so um, this is a slightly long-winded story, so thanks for listening. Uh, So wife and I are in couples therapy. I think I've said that before. Um, We're not ashamed to talk about it because it has been a relationship relationship saver for all intents and purposes. Um, During a a recent session, I somehow let it slip, quote unquote, slip that I had a podcast. And I swear, I thought I had mentioned this before to our therapist. Um, But I was like, oh, you didn't know. Okay. Then I felt really awkward. And I also felt super vulnerable because then she asked about it. And then I felt like I was talking about it. And I don't necessarily like to talk about the podcast. Um, I do it and I push it out on social media, but I, I talk about it sometimes. But like, I don't talk about it at work because I don't want people at work to listen because then you get the person or the people who are like, you were talking about me. So I just, I don't talk about that particular piece. Um, which is weird because I actually love recording and doing this show and hearing feedback. Um, even the tough feedback, cause I know I say, um, and I say, and, and I drag out, sometimes I have vocal fry, whatever. Um, but I actually really like expressing myself through this particular platform. Um, and there is a, a censorship that I've had on myself. Um, even though this is hundred percent my show, this is my voice. These are all my opinions and I own those. They're the opinions of no one else. Um, there's still things that I don't talk about on this show. Um, even as I know all of these beliefs are mine and I stand in, stand in them and I say them with my chest or, you know, I, I say it with my own base in my voice. There's still in this place, a place in me that becomes small and coddling, uh, I become small and then I recognize that I start to coddle, um, frankly, white people. I protect them and I have not, I'm not even sure why. And I haven't even started to dig into why that I protect white people specifically. Um, Ooh, almost got an emotional there. Um, I also know that they need to hear what I have to say and the impact of their words, their behaviors, and quite frankly, their silence and what that impact has on me as a black person, other black people, and non-black people of color. I'm not sure where this comes from. And it feels like one of those kind of like overarching but silent sheens of white supremacy where I can't say the things that I want to say on my own platform. And I don't even know why. And why do I feel that way? And even for people who are like, well, it's your show. Just go ahead and say whatever. That's really easy to say and really hard to practice. And I'm not sure why I'm protecting people who as a group, as a large, have been damaging to both myself and other black people and other non-black people of color. I don't know. That's a, that's a deeper dive for me to dig into. Like, why is that protection mode there for folks who will blatantly say dumb shit right to my face um, or about me or around me and feel no ways about it? Or I don't know how they feel, but I damn sure don't get apologies or sorry. So I take that as some sort of an indicator. But it's weird. Um so I think about Viola Davis's point or quote, um, you can't be hesitant about who you are. And I'm not saying I have like 5,000 things to say that are negative about white people, but I, I'm critical just based on the things that I hear and the actions that I see like white people do and the, um, the visibility that they don't see in black people, um, and I, I don't I haven't the slightest clue as to why I did that. So at some point, I'm going to need to dig a little bit deeper into that. And I, I'm going to start to push myself and challenge myself more to open up about um, the things that I feel and experience and the things that I want other people to start to recognize in the world and talk about how do we disrupt some of these things that are happening 
to us um, and around us, um, specifically when it comes to white folks. Um, and that, yeah, I was going to apologize right now, like apologize without saying, sorry, I was about to like undo what I just said, but I'm not going to. So moving on to topic number three, and you'll see this episode is all over the place again. Thank you for listening. Um, so I just turned 40, which I think I mentioned a few weeks ago, and I have grateful enough to have insurance and there are a number of preventative things that, you know, flu shot or, you know, tetanus shot or TB test or whatever, depending on, you know, if your job requires it. Um, so I recently got my first mammogram. So I feel like my, my healthcare provider couldn't wait for me to turn 40 because it was like, happy birthday in an email. And the third line was like, don't forget to sign up for your first mammogram. And I am grateful Number one, for preventative health care um, and for the fact that I don't have to have a copay for that. I am grateful to be fully insured. Um, and I'm grateful that I, I know enough to be able to like move past whatever fear that I may have had um, in order to actually go through and get the mammogram because it hurt some. So I don't want to pretend that. But my thinking is I want to be able, if I have an opportunity to prevent something from happening, I would rather do a mammogram as often as they tell me as a prevention me measure than go through and be diagnosed with something. Now, I can't obviously um, predict what if I'm going to be diagnosed and what that process would look like and how in depth, but I'm so grateful to be in my right mind enough to know that prevention is one of those ways for early detection. So if you are a person out there who's been sitting on like a doctor's appointment that you know you need to make or there's a preventative measure that you can take to be able to at least catch something at the early stages, please do that. Um, please take care of yourself. Honor the fact and uh, that you have insurance if you have it and that you're hopefully and it's a money thing. Don't get me wrong. Like insurance companies and that whole thing, it feels like a pyramid scheme and a scam, whatever. But I'm also grateful because again, I would rather have a mammogram than be having to go through something. And I'm like at stage three or stage four of something. So take into, if, if you're hesitant about that, take a pause and think through if you want to be able to kind of sustain your life longer because you take these early prevention steps and have an awareness about it and take some ownership of your body and what you have access to right now, um, rather than waiting and kind of living and being in that fear of this could happen. So I'm going to ignore it because catching those things early is super important. All right. So that's all I got for today. Thanks for listening. Um, you can find me on social media, Facebook and Instagram. I am more present on Instagram, to be honest. You can listen to the podcast podcast on SoundCloud, uh, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play. Uh, I'm sure I'm somewhere, somewhere else out there. If you're listening, you know where to find me. Thank you so much for listening. If you got questions or want to slide in my DMs, uh, feel free to do that. If you want to rate and review on Apple Podcasts, please do. Uh, if not, thanks for listening and share this with your friends. Okay, bye.